Well, good morning. You can grab a seat. And please behold this amazing documentary. This is the story of Finding Nemo. Coral and Marlin, they're about to have babies. And a shark comes, and the shark eats coral. Marlin names um, the baby Nemo because he wants to remember his wife. On the first day of school for Nemo, they take him on a field trip to the open ocean. I ain't myself. Marlin doesn't like that because he thinks it's too dangerous for Nemo. Nemo gets captured by divers. Marlin meets a fish named Dory. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. And they find a diver's mask. P. Sherman, 42, Wallaby Way, Sydney. It's in Australia. In a dentist's office. And Nemo makes friends in the fish tank. You shall be known shark bait. And they try to come up with an escape plan to get out of the tank. Meanwhile, fish are friends, not food. I can speak well. Jellyfish almost getting stung. Because we're like, whoa. And I was like, whoa. Everyone in the ocean hears the story about Marlin trying to find Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. And then the giant bird scoops them and takes them to Nemo. Nemo looks like he's dead. Nemo! He goes down a train that leads to the ocean and he gets reunited and Dory, Marlin, and Nemo live together. That end. Mmm. Truly the classic tale of loss and family and clownfish. Goodness, if you were like me, you probably saw that movie maybe, I don't know, 13 dozen times, uh, or maybe you watched it in class. It, was, it came out when I was in like, high school or something like that. It was a, our favorite movie to watch in classes. Anytime we had an off day, anytime a film was going to be shown in class, our teachers would always show Finding Nemo. And I always wondered why. Like, I couldn't really figure out why do they always want to choose it. Like, it's a clean, you know, it's a great, fun family movie. True, but why that one? Like, there's lots of movies like that. Why did our teachers always pick Finding Nemo? Why do we love Finding Nemo? Why does it resonate so deeply with us? And I think it's because we've all been there. We've all experienced loss. We've all been in that moment where we hold so tightly onto something Maybe it's not our, you know, fish son, because that's weird. But maybe, maybe we're holding on to that position, or maybe we're holding on to that status, or maybe we're holding on to that job so tightly, and it gets taken away. No matter how tightly I grab a hold and just grasp something that I love, it will still get taken away from me. I will still lose it. And when that happens, most of the time, we respond with anger or bitterness or defeat. Sometimes we're just so upset, we've been holding on so tightly, and yet it's gone, and I just raise my fist, and I'm angry. And I know I just got to change things. I know that I can do something to bring it back. But the reality is that many times we can't. 
many times we will experience loss in this world and it's never coming back. Whether it's your job or your family member or a relationship, we lose it. We lose things. This whole semester we've been talking about the life of David. We're looking at his stories and his psalms. We're looking at things that happened to him. We're looking at the things that he wrote in his journal. And we're trying to understand this man who God said was a man after my own heart, meaning David was so in line with the Lord's will that God singled him out out of all of creation. He said, this guy, he gets me. So far, we've been looking at different responses that David's had in his life. We looked at his response to sin. We looked at his response to rejection. Last week, we looked at his response to just the darkness that was present in the battle with Goliath. And this week, this morning, we're looking at how David responds to loss. We're picking up at a moment in David's life where he feels like he's got it all together. But yet God methodically rips everything away from him. Every single thing that David was trusting in at that time, every little temporary thing that he trusted, God pulls away until David finds himself with no one left, nowhere to go, literally scratching at walls and drooling on himself. This morning we're going to see David experience loss and we're going to see him fall hard. But we're also going to see David come through that with a new response, not anger or bitterness or despair. We're going to see David learn to confront loss, respond to loss with praise. And it's amazing. Our story picks up 1 Samuel chapter 19. We just saw David conquer this big battle. We just saw him beat Goliath. We saw him inherit parts of the kingdom. He got a new wife. He gets all these amazing things. And David is basically coasting way up top. Like, man, David's doing great. He has all these things going for him. He's beloved by everyone in the entire nation. And he's like 19. Okay, right around this time, he's about 19 or 20 years old. And he's got everything awesome. And there was war again. Verse 8. And David went out and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. We see David riding high, doing amazing things, and he's beloved by all because he was an amazing military commander. Uh, We don't really know what David did to accomplish this, but we know that God worked through David to bring the Israelites so many victories in battle, especially against these Philistines, right? Our classic, like, the Philistines, they're like the worst of the worst. And David beats them time and time again, defending Israel, defending all these people. So everyone looks at them like, oh my gosh, you're amazing, right? Our our current equivalent would be maybe uh, like a sports hero just can't be beat, right? This evening is the Super Bowl, in case you weren't aware. I was barely aware. I do not follow sports. But I know that the horses are fighting the birds. And (laughs) I know that the leader of the horses, the head Mustang, if you will, is a guy named Peyton Manning who America just loves. Like, even if you don't like the Broncos, like, you love Peyton Manning, mostly, because he's just this amazing comeback story. He's this David. He's this guy who's been coasting through life, and he has some ups and downs and all these things, but he sticks with it. In his past season, he had an amazing, amazing season. This amazing arm and offense, and he yells. I know, we're just excited about Peyton, right? We're just, we're pumped up. 
We're going to see him play tonight. Oh, man. And Peyton has been doing so amazingly well. He's been guiding this team and faking out defenses and Omaha, Omaha, and yelling all these things. And we love him. David was this man who all the nation, even if they didn't really like it, they loved him. They loved David. And everyone's praising him. They sing these songs. They have this old song that we're going to look at here in a minute where they say, Saul killed thousands of men. David, tens of thousands. Saying this man is amazing. He's incredible. And in the midst of that amazing victory, he goes back home and a harmful spirit from the Lord or allowed by the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the liar. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but David eluded Saul so that Saul struck the spear into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. First thing we see David lose is his position. First thing we see David lose is his status in his country. We see him lose this amazing, these accolades. We see him fall from grace in the eyes of everyone, especially the king. We see him suddenly fleeing for his life because the king wants to kill him. In the midst of his glory, God allows an evil spirit to overcome Saul, who turns on David, and David has to run. Because the reality is that our positions, our statuses are temporary. One of these days, that GPA that you've been working so hard to maintain will not matter. One of these days, that organization that you're in won't need you anymore. You'll be replaced by a new officer or by a new member or by a new leader. You won't even be remembered. One of these days, you're going to leave this campus. You're going to graduate You're going to go to a job that one day later you're going to lose that as well. The reality is that our positions are temporary. So then what? David ran to his wife. We see Saul sending messengers to David's house to watch him that he might kill him in the morning. But Michael, David's wife, told David, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed So Michael let David down through the window. He fled away and escaped. We see David run home, only to discover that Saul has beaten him there. Saul sent messengers to his house, plotting David's death. And so Michael, who was Saul's daughter, was actually pretty hardcore at this time. And so she tells David, look, we got to get you out of here. So she lets him down the window. And then, we're not going to read it, but she makes a mannequin, basically, that looks like David and puts it in their bed. So that when the messengers come in, they're like, hey, is David here? She's like, he's sleeping. Don't bother. He's sick. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. And they, they walk away because her mannequin was just that realistic, apparently. I don't know. The sheets over the bed. I don't know. Ferris Bueller type thing. And they are all faked out by this mannequin because Michael says, you've got to go. But the reality is that even though she's looking out for him, even though she cared about him, loved David. In fact, we find out earlier in 1 Samuel, that's why she even married David Saul was going to give him a different wife, but then he decides, no, I'm going to give him Michael because Michael loves him. She desires him. They had a good relationship at this point, but the reality is that it ended. The reality is that our relationships are temporary. The reality is that that crush might not like you or that girlfriend might break up with you. The reality is that your spouse, who's your soulmate, that you just know and you connect on so many different levels, the reality is that that spouse will die, will pass away. 
And it's not always going to be that beautiful notebook curled up in the bed (laughs) moment. The reality is that our relationships are temporary. They will end. And when they end, what do we do? Where do we go? How do I respond when I lose my relationship? David runs to his mentor. Verse 18, now David fled and escaped. He came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived in Naoth. David decides, okay, okay, I'm no longer loved by the nation. Uh, My wife is gone. I can't go back home. So instead what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the guy who's always kind of been there for me, right? I'm going to go to the guy who's always kind of led me and instructed me. I'm going to go to my mentor. I'm going to go to Samuel. He's a prophet. Like he knows what's going on. Like he's always got great plans. I'm going to go to Samuel, see what he thinks. Samuel, in fact, does have a great plan. Samuel says, okay, well, Saul's looking for you. Uh, we, it's really hard to hide from the king, the you know, boss of the entire country. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to Naoth. And what we've discovered, what archaeologists discovered when they've dug up these ruins is that Naoth was basically a giant condominium neighborhood. Okay? It's basically just all these houses and they're all, or little like apartments and they're all just stacked on top of each other and they're like facing different directions and there's like one here and one there and one there and they're all over the place. Right? So this is a really confusing place to be, right? There's probably barbecues out at the pool, which is cool, but you can't find your way through the complex. It's a confusing place. So Samuel says, let's go there. Let's hide there. Saul won't be able to find us because we'll hide basically in just this big muddled mess. But we find out that in fact, Saul finds them. He hears about where they are. And so he goes and flushes them out. I like to imagine it's that kind of Scooby-Doo moment where they're like running in between doors and popping their heads out of jars and bloop, 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 you know, and they're like running around. But Saul chases them out of Nera. He puts them out of this place that they thought they had. He makes them flee from this amazing plan that Samuel had. It doesn't work. It fails because the reality is that our plans are temporary. Our mentors are temporary. The reality is that that advice won't always work. That teacher won't always be there for you. That master plan that you have that lays out exactly where you want to be in 25 years in single year increments is going to fall apart. The reality is that our plans, our wisdom is temporary. And then what? David doesn't have his position, he doesn't have his relationship. He doesn't have his mentor. So he goes to his buddy. Basically, David in chapter 20 goes to see Jonathan. And he tells Jonathan, this is his best friend, right? He tells Jonathan, your dad is trying to kill me. It's like, we got to figure something out because your dad's trying to kill me. Jonathan's like, no, no, no. He does not trying to kill you. Like, he hasn't said anything to me. Like, don't worry about it. And David goes, the spear, man, the spear. I promise you, he's trying to kill me. David says, Jonathan says, no, no, no. So David vows again saying, your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. So he thinks, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, David says, truly, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. David says, you've got 
to believe me. You've got to understand the fact that your dad is trying to kill me. And he's telling Jonathan, because like I said, man, they're best bros. These guys are tight. They've been hanging out together so much that they've grown so close because they've been in battle together. They've, been, they've just gone through a bunch of crazy life stuff together. They're best friends. They're practically brothers. Practically <laughs> brothers. You doubted I could use this again. <laughs> and yet here we are. They're brothers. They're brothers from different mothers. And yet, Jonathan tries to help him, but Jonathan fails. Jonathan says, hey, okay, I'll tell you what. I'm going to go have dinner with my dad. He says, you hang out in this field. You hide in this field. I'm going to go have dinner with my dad. I'm going to find out if he's really that mad, if he really wants to kill you. Okay, I'm just going to go have dinner with my dad. Kind of, we'll see what happens in the conversation. We'll see what plays out. You just wait on me. So David says, okay, cool. Hides in the field. Jonathan goes home has dinner with his dad the first night. It's not a big deal. David was supposed to be there, but Saul doesn't really mind. Saul thinks, oh, well, he's probably just not clean. Like maybe he's doing a ceremonial thing. Like maybe it's not a big deal that he's here. So Saul doesn't bring up the fact that David's gone. Jonathan's like, okay, cool. But then the second night happens. Jonathan goes to dinner with his dad, hanging out. Saul realizes, well, David's still not here which is really inconvenient because I want to throw a spear through his face. So he asks Jonathan, he says, hey, where, where's David? And Jonathan tries to stick up for him. He says, oh, David's home. He's doing these uh, things. He's, he's uh, having the ceremony, the sacrifice in his home village. In fact, uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to go join him. I'm going to go help him in that sacrifice here in a couple days, if that's cool with you, dad. And Saul flips out. Flips out. He says, no, you can't, you can't go do that. Are you, are you kidding me? He says, you're a disgrace. Because Saul realizes in that moment what's going on. He realizes that Jonathan is hiding David. So Saul says, you are a disgrace to your mother. You're a disgrace to me. You're disgusting. He says, how dare you stand up for that David guy? And Saul gets so just angry that he picks up a spear and throws it at Jonathan's head. Classic Saul, right? Always oh, checking those spears. Throws a spear at his son's face. Jonathan dodges it, runs away, and realizes, wow, David wasn't kidding. Saul's really trying to kill him. My dad's lost his mind, so he runs out to the field. He finds David. They have this weird uh, code system with arrows and this kid, but he eventually communicates to David, look, yeah, you're right. My dad's trying to kill you. You've got to get out of here. He says, Run. Don't hesitate. Don't look back. He says, run away. Because even though they were so close, even though they were best friends, even though they were brothers, Jonathan failed David. Our relationships, our friendships are temporary. They're temporary. The reality is that some friends that you have right now aren't always going to be your friends. Some of them are going to betray you in ways you never would have imagined. Some of them are just going to move on to other things in different organizations or have a different friend group. Some of your friends, some of your best friends, your brothers, your sisters, 
They're just going to drift away from you. The reality is that as life continues, as you get different jobs and you move to different cities and you have different families and different kids and all these different responsibilities, those relationships fall away. The reality is that our relationships are temporary. They will fail you. And then what do you do? Then what? David finds himself with no position, no wife, no friend. David finds himself with no one left, nowhere to go. Not even an old wise mentor to pour into him and tell him what to do next. So what we see David do is he runs to Gath. David arose, fled that day from Saul went to Ashish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Ashish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands? David took these words to heart, was much afraid of Ashish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended to be insane in their hands, and made marks on the doors of the gate, let a spittle run down his beard. If you'll remember from last week, Goliath, right? That big, awesome Philistine guy was the champion. This is his hometown, right? Goliath of Gath. This is where Goliath came from. This is deep in Philistine territory. This is the land of the enemy. And it's where David goes. Because David was holding on so tightly to all these different pieces and they're gone. He says, I don't, I don't know what to do. And he just decides, I'm, I'm defeated. Like, I can't do anything about this. So he runs to his enemy. The arch enemy of Israel at that time is where he seeks refuge. He runs to Ashish. His name sounds like a sneeze. Why would you run to that guy? And of course they recognized him. Of course, they say, hey, uh, this, is that, this is that guy that keeps, like, murdering everyone we know. <laughs> like, this is that guy that's, like, always whooping and hollering. Just, you know, this, is, this is David. Like, what's he doing? And they can't even believe it. So they go to the king before they even act. They're like, I, I'm pretty sure this is David. And Ashish is kind of looking at him. He's like, well, maybe you're. And David realizes, oh, wow, like, this was a bad place to be. Therefore, I'm going to act insane. I'm going to lose all self-respect. I'm going to lose all of my dignity. I'm going to act like a crazy person. I'm going to drool on myself. I'm going to scratch at doors like a madman. This is the lowest we could possibly see David fall. This is the bottom of the barrel. This is, this is rock bottom. No status, no wife, no mentor, no friends, no dignity. Why? Why does this happen? Because the reality is that our, our lives are temporary. The reality is that you are temporary. The reality is that your body is going to fail. Your mind is going to grow dull. Your lungs will stop breathing and your heart will stop pumping. The reality is that you are temporary. And in this moment, David gets it. 
In this moment, David realizes no matter how tightly he held onto his accomplishments or his dreams or his plans or the people in his life, no matter how tightly he held onto those things, they were temporary, they were going to slip out, they were going to be pulled away. The reality is that David realized that everything in this life is temporary. And whether you've been there yet or not, whether you feel that right now, whether you're in the midst of a loss that you almost can't even describe, whether you're still feeling the ramifications of a loss a year ago, two years ago, three months ago, the reality is that if you haven't been at that point, if you don't feel the way that David felt, I promise you, you're going to be there. You're headed in that direction because whatever you are taking refuge in right now, whatever riches you've gained for yourself, they will fail. They are temporary. And then what? Then what do you do? Where do you go? If everything I can gather for myself ends, then what do I do? This is what led David to write what we read at the beginning. In this exact time period, David wrote Psalm 52. He said, why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? He says, the steadfast love of God endures all the day, but your tongue plots destruction. Like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour a deceitful tongue, but God will break you down forever. He will snatch you and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, see the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches. He sought refuge in his own destruction. We like to read these Psalms from David as like, a, yeah, you, you tell him, Dave. Yeah, you get him. <laughs> right? That's how even just subconsciously you were thinking that. You're thinking as Whitney read at the very beginning that David was writing this about all oh, those dang old Philistines. Oh yeah, God's gonna wipe them out. Right? We were thinking that. We read these as David looking out at just the brokenness of the world and saying, oh, you foolish man. God's going to destroy you. You better watch it. Check yourself before you wreck yourself, Philistines. Right? That's what we see in this psalm. But the reality is I believe that David isn't writing this about him or her or them. David's writing this about himself. David's writing this about David, David realizes, looking back at these things he did, looking back at these losses he experienced, he realizes, I was a fool. I sought refuge in my own destruction. I had all of these riches. I had all these things that I thought were going to be amazing, but it was destruction. It was foolishness. When I was preparing for this week, I came across this quote. It's all about this idea of, man, holding on tightly to your riches. Holding on tightly to these things that when they're taken, we often are angry or bitter or, or just despaired. We, this guy says, I'm just going to read it. When you've reached a certain point in your life, there are people out there waiting to see you fall. But rather than let gravity take you down, 
Sometimes you have to take matters into your own hands and fly. This guy says, you know what? Some people are going to say you're going to fail, but you know what you do instead? You take matters into your own hands. You flap those wings and you fly. You know who wrote this? Said this? (laughs) Speaking of 19-year-olds on the run, (laughs) Justin Bieber. His fall from grace happened this past week. I hope you probably could not miss it. It was everywhere. Justin Bieber. Soaring to greater and newer heights. Even if you didn't like him, lots of people did. Right? He was beloved by many. Singing songs and dancing and hanging out with Usher. And everyone's like, yeah. Right? And in the midst of that just rise to fame in the midst of those amazing things that he had gathered for himself. Even though all those people wanted to watch him fall, man, he was just going to take a hold of everything and make himself fly. Gets pulled over, DUI, just he's on all kinds of stuff. And then what do we see him do? Instead, when he finds out like all this bad stuff's happening and he kind of gets out of prison, he's like, oh man, that's bad. He runs to Canada. (laughs) He gets to Canada and they're like, hey, yeah, so, uh, you punched people last year, so you're going to have to go to prison here too. Like, he's getting in trouble everywhere, right? He runs to Gath. He runs to Canada. <laughs> up there. <laughs> the Philistines. He says, surely you'll take me in. They go, no, 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 you're, you're in trouble here too. And he finds himself in this moment where he's like, wow, there's, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing left. I don't think I can really fly out of this little cage that I've built for myself. We realize when we look time and again, these people who have these amazing things, they try to gather it to themselves and they grab it so tightly and they still lose it. And we respond with anger or bitterness. He just like went on this tirade telling people like, you don't know me and going just nuts. That's how we respond to that loss. I had a friend in high school, his parents had him. They also had a daughter. Daughter was diagnosed with leukemia. When she was just a little kid, they were heartbroken. But they did everything they could to fight it, right? Getting treatments and going through the whole process. But she died at the age of three. Her body just quit. And that loss was so devastating. That loss brought so much pain that it drove his parents apart. They divorced shortly afterwards because in the midst of that loss they responded the way that many of us respond by raising our fist that's now empty and we are just angry or we're bitter or we feel defeated that's where David was but it's not where he ended He looks back. He writes Psalm 52. He talks about those riches, that refuge in destruction, but he keeps going and says, but I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. David experienced incredible loss. Everything was ripped away from him. But he realizes in Psalm 52, he realizes at some point, I don't know exactly when, he realizes looking back at those events as they unfolded that God was not acting out of anger. 
He realizes that God wasn't acting out of pettiness. He realizes that God was acting out of love. He realizes that God wasn't taking those things as a way to push David towards destruction. God wasn't trying to push him off some cliff. God was pulling David to himself. God was taking away those things, showing David that God was the only refuge. He's trying to show David, look, I'm all that matters. I'm enough. He says, you don't need those things. Those things will fail you. David sees it. He sees the love in God's actions and he responds to that loss with praise. He held on so tightly and when it was ripped away, instead of being angry and bitter, he opened his hand in praise and thankfulness. Singing about the God who took everything away so that David would realize that God was all that mattered, that God was enough. God takes our riches, but he gives us refuge. God takes away, but he gives something so much better. He takes our riches. He gives us an eternal refuge that will not end, that will not be marred by time or sin. He gives us refuge. He pulled everything away methodically. It's amazing how he goes through David's life and just picks away every single thing that he could possibly have hoped in, possibly have trusted in. God ends every single temporary piece in his life to force David to seek refuge in God alone. And David praises him for it. Because that's what it took for David to realize that God's enough. He had to hit rock bottom before he realized, wow, You're all that matters. Some of us are going to hit rock bottom. Some of you even right now are hearing this. You're like, eh, well. And I'm so sad for you. Because you're going to hit bottom. You're going to continue to seek refuge in your own destruction. For I don't know how long. Instead of being like David thanking God, waiting for him, seeing the goodness in the presence of the godly. But my hope and my prayer for the rest of you is that you would hear this now, that you would learn this lesson now, that you would realize what many of us, myself included, had to hit bottom to realize. I had a friend Another friend got married a few years ago to a wonderful woman, started a new life together, and they were just cruising along, happy as could be, got pregnant with their first kid, super excited, super pumped to enter into this new adventure of parenthood, getting everything ready and setting up the, you know, telling all the friends and family and setting up the nursery and all this stuff. They go into a normal checkup, just a normal appointment. They always, they look at your baby like once a month when you're pregnant. They check out the baby, and the doctors come back to him and say, well, uh, turns out that your kid has a very incredibly rare disorder. Just this really weird condition that meant that their kid might not ever be born, and if he made it all the way to birth, he wouldn't last very long outside of the womb. My friends were heartbroken. 
but they prayed and and they sought counsel and, and they were healthy and they tried everything that they could to bring this baby to term, to carry that baby for the rest of month after month after month, knowing that there's little to no chance that this baby would survive when it was born. They, they prayed and, and they sought uh, counsel from their friends and their family. And they got to that day, they, they had their son, they named Timothy, and he lived for 45 minutes before he passed away. I cannot know that loss. But what I do know is that in the midst of that loss, they praised God. They worshiped the Lord. They used their experience of loss with Timothy to minister to other families who had gone through similar circumstances. They still refer to him as their first son. And they sing God's praises continuously. He's working in ministry at a church up in Dallas because he knows that this world is temporary. He knows he's going to lose things in life. He experienced greater loss than I hope any of us ever experience. And he realizes, he remembers that God is enough. That no matter what I lose, it's okay. Because these things are temporary. The only eternal thing that I can ever trust and the only refuge I should ever run to is God Almighty who loved us so much that he was willing to lose his son to save us. The God who provides refuge only because his son was willing to lose his authority. He was willing to lose his place in heaven to come to earth to live a life that was perfect. But then even though he deserved all these accolades and all this righteousness, even though he deserved all of these things and rewards and blessings based on his life, he chose to lose all of it so that he could die for you and for me. My friends realized, they remembered that God experienced greater loss than they've ever experienced. And he did it out of love for their sake that Jesus Christ lost his life so that anyone who believes in him, anyone who puts their faith in his life and death and resurrection, anyone who trusts him will have an eternal refuge that never ends, never spoils, never goes away. No matter what else ends in your life, no matter what else is temporary, God is eternal and he's enough. So as we enter into some more worship as we begin to praise God for the things that he's done. I know that many of you have experienced loss on some level. I know that many of you may be experiencing it right now. And I would challenge you, urge you to not trust in those things, to not trust in those temporary pieces, to not try to hoard these riches for yourself. Ask yourself, where am I holding tightly onto something of this world that will be ripped away no matter what? Where am I grabbing these things, these riches? Where am I seeking refuge in what is actually destruction? Or maybe ask yourself, what loss am I still angry about? What was I holding onto so tightly that was ripped away and I'm bitter 
And I can't believe God did that. Because you need to let go. You've got to realize that God's enough. You need to talk to me. You need to talk to one of our interns. You need to talk to your small group leader. Ask them to help you. To let go. To praise God. Because in the midst of our temporary surroundings that always end, we have a God who provides refuge that will never end. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are our mighty tower, God, our, our mighty fortress. God, we thank you that even though the things of this world will fail us, the people of this world will fail us, the positions of this world, God, even though all of those things end, Lord, we know that you're good. God, we know that we can trust in your love and in your plan. God, we know that we can run to you as our refuge. If you would take a moment right now, just ask the Lord to show you, what are you trusting in? What have you grabbed a hold of to use as your refuge? What do you need to just let go of? What do you need to hold in an open hand, enjoying the gift that God provided, but not placing your trust in it, not seeking it as a refuge? Ask the Lord to show you, what are you trusting in over him? If you would, take a moment. Ask the Lord to provide a conversation or a person or, or maybe just a, a time of prayer where you can let go of that. Ask the Lord to empower you to, to work through his spirit, to give you the strength to only trust in him alone. Ask him to show you how to let go of maybe an anger or a bitterness or a defeat that you still experience from a loss in your past. Ask the Lord to move in that way right now.